This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Francesa Podcast as we move a little deeper into the month of July. Yankees uh, were impressive in their first stop in Boston this year, especially the bullpen, which has been so good all year, and it was at its very best last night. You saw uh, what King and Holmes uh, have become. You saw what they uh, can do. And the biggest key in that game, after the way it had unfolded, was that they did not allow, with their moves to the pen and the overpowering nature of the Yankee pen last night, they did not allow that lineup to rotate back to Devers once they got him out. So after they got him out and made the change to get him out on a fairly sharp hit ball to the left side after his exploits last night, and he continues to just destroy Cole when he sees him, um, they did not allow that lineup to get back to him, and they finished the game in dominating fashion. And that is uh, every bit. That last night was a game that was completely emblematic of what the Yankees have been in opening up this enormous lead on their way to 60 wins after 83 games, a 14-game lead in the loss column uh, with this incredible run. And I tell you, there's some things that have really been such a part of their success that were on display last night. Number one, the bullpen. Number two, the power. Number three, no matter what, this team has played under a lucky star this year. Whatever has to happen, happens for them. The other team will always make the wrong pitch, make the wrong play, drop the outfield ball, misjudge the outfield ball, drop the infield pop-up. I mean, we have seen that so many times in Yankee rallies this year. It's been unbelievable. You just hope and hope that they don't use up all that good fortune in the regular season because they have had it in truckloads this year. How many times have you seen the other team make a colossal blunder that led to a Yankee rally? I mean, it has happened. I mean, I can't believe how many times I've seen it on pop-ups this year. You might see a pop-up usually dropped once a year. They've dropped five or six easy in these Yankee rallies this year. It has been unbelievable. The other story is Judge and the idea, are the Yankees pushing him too far by making him the everyday center fielder? That is going to become more of a debate issue. It shouldn't be. To me, he needs to play center field. If he needs a day off now and again, who cares? The second half of the year, they're going to be allowed to take as many days off as he needs. They're going to have such a big cushion. He just has to be ready for the big games of October. Judge in center field is the key to the Yankees' flexibility in their lineup. Without it, they don't have any. 
Without it, they can't get the right people on the field. With it, it gives them flexibility in the lineup in many ways, in the corner outfield spots, in the DH spot, and it helps them in the infield. If you can take somebody like a carpenter and put him in the outfield and get his bat in the lineup, you're a better team. If you can get Carpenter in the DH spot, you're a better team. Now, Hicks has clearly seen the handwriting on the wall and realized, hey, I better start hitting if I want to stay in this lineup. Gallo, we know, we know he tries. Gallo tries. Gallo draws walks. He feels his position. He runs hard. He plays the game right. He just doesn't make contact. When he does, he hits home runs, but he doesn't make contact enough that you can trust him in a big spot. Hicks has started to hit, but to me, you know what? Hitting bad pitching late in games is not, to me, very exciting. I have to see more from Hicks, especially with men in scoring position, if he's going to be a prominent player for them come the postseason. But again, when Judge plays center, and center should not be all that taxing on Judge at this stage of his career. It really shouldn't. Okay. A lot of guys will tell you center field's easier to play than the corner outfield spots are are to play. And Judge plays center field well. I think you leave him there if he needs to take days off because his legs get tired once in a while in the heat of the summer. Hey, you have every ability to rest him day game after night game, to rest him once a week, to give him off and put him in the DH slot on those days and let him uh, get get off his feet on a hot, August day, fine, do it. You're going to be able to do it whenever you want. you got a 14-game lead in the loss column. But last night, what you saw was everything that the Yanks have been about in opening up this enormous lead. Pitching. And Cole, hey, I don't trust Cole in the big spot. I just never have. He's going to have to prove things to me. He's got good stuff. At times, he's got incredible stuff. But he just gets beat on the wrong pitch or in the wrong spot too many times for me in the big spot. And Divas owns him. Let's be honest. He just flat owns him. And he is one of the great, great hitters in baseball. There are some good ones. There are some impressive ones. But he is a great, great hitter in terms of everything. Power, his ability to cover the plate. His ability to make contact. I mean, he's just a, an incredibly impressive hitter and a destroyer at the plate, as we saw again uh, last night. But the Yankees did what they've done all year. They've won. And they've won with a little help from their friends and with a lot of power and a lot of pitching and some stellar, stellar bullpen work. King and, and Holmes have become a tremendous one-two punch, and Holmes has just been utterly amazing. But don't sell King short. He's got nasty stuff, too. I tell you, they are both very, very impressive. Mets last night come home. They got home late at night. They didn't get much sleep, but you know what? It didn't make any difference as they just pounded the Marlins last night. And two guys who could be really big for this team and who have really done nothing for this team this year could be key. If McCann hits, they're a different lineup. If Davis hits, especially against left-handed pitching, they're a different lineup. And those two guys last night basically improved their, you know, meager yearly statistics 
by uh, leaps and bounds last night with, with what went on in the game. And if they can get those two guys going, if McCann showed them something, maybe they don't make the trade for a catcher. And Davis could be a bat that we know can be very productive. You haven't seen it this year. You saw it last night. Maybe it's a step in the right direction. The other thing I'm thinking about here on this eighth day of July, still a little ways to go before the All-Star break. And then coming off the All-Star break, everything is going to be, and I think this is going to be the event of the summer. When the Yankees hit City Field on July 26th, think about it. Here are the Mets, okay? Like the Yankees in first place all season. Four games up in the loss column with a comfortable cushion all year. Got Scherzer back. Hope soon to get the Grom back. Have stayed away from that losing streak. Have done a, had a tremendous, tremendous first 83 games under Buck. 52 and 31. By normal standards, a great year. Not by Yankee standards this year, but the Yankee year is out of control as they're playing 723 baseball. When you play 700 baseball, that's historic. That's what the Yankees are doing right now. They're playing better than that. But the event of the summer is going to be that first game. I have always been a, if you've listened to me, you know this, I have always been a big proponent of the Subway Series. It has filled stadiums year in and year out since its origination. It has been exciting. It has been meaningful. It's been fun. It puts a lot of life into the season. And this season, with the Yankees running away and hiding, with the Mets in first place all the way, that look at each other where the fans can take really have some fun with the other squad. The historic Yankee season. Now, what if the Mets can put a couple of wins up against them and vice versa? And if the big pitchers pitch, it's going to be terrific and it is going to be a very, very hot ticket. And it is now 18 days away. And you watch leading into that weekend and into that Tuesday night, that buildup is going to be enormous. July 26th, City Field. They then resume at Yankee Stadium after the two-game set at City Field. They play two in late August. I think it's August 22nd at Yankee Stadium. It's the first of the two games there. The bottom line is these games are going to be big. There's going to be an intensity. It's going to be not only must-see baseball, but if you're lucky enough to get a ticket, it's going to be a lot of fun. And there's going to be a tremendous amount of intensity in, the, in that ballpark when the Yankees and Mets find their way into the same ballpark this year. And now it's only 18 days away, and it should be really the baseball event of the summer without any, any question. Back after this. You're listening to the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Mike Francesa Podcast. We'll get to some uh, emails in just a minute, but Baker Mayfield now has been has found a new home, the Carolina Panthers, where he will battle and ultimately win the starting job. 
as much as almost any quarterback in the league, there has been a greater divide on this quarterback than probably any other quarterback in recent years. The ones that aren't very good, I think most of the people line up on the right side of each one. The ones that are really good, I think people all write up on the line side. But there's a, there seems to be a real division. There are some people who think this guy can get it done and that he's misunderstood and has been treated badly. And there's some guys who think, hey, give me a break. The guy's just been overrated to a fault from the beginning. I have to admit I fall into the latter school. I'm not a big Baker Mayfield stand, uh, fan, but this is the last stand for him. He's gone to a place where they need a quarterback. Sam Donald is not going to hold Baker Mayfield off. He's not. Baker Mayfield's going to beat him out. If he doesn't, that'll be a scoop, but he will. But now this is it. Mayfield's out of, he's out of excuses. He's out of alibis. He's out of issues. He's out of everything else. It's now put up a shut-up time for Baker Mayfield and for his supporters. This is it. He's not going to get another chance past this one. This is his chance to find a home and to stamp himself as a guy who is a legitimate starting NFL quarterback without any issue. Is Baker Mayfield that person? Now he gets one more chance to prove that he is. Come back with your emails right after this. Email the Mike Francesa podcast. Drop Mike a note at mikefrancesapodcast at gmail.com. Podcast at gmail.com. Remember, send your emails to mikefrancesapodcast at gmail.com. We'll get to as many as we can in each of the podcasts. We try to get to at least a couple or a handful uh, whenever we can, and we appreciate them. Here we go. You've always said Notre Dame would never join a conference. Do you see this massive realignment changing that? In my opinion, I think the Fighting Iris will be playing in the Big Ten in the next five years. This upheaval now is so extraordinary. It's a, it is a landscape that nobody could have ever envisioned. You have two conferences now that have completely run away and hidden from the rest of the world. It's all driven by football, not basketball, as you know. And the Big Ten and the SEC are now in a position where they will probably be raking in three and four times as much money as the other conferences. Does that mean in Notre Dame to survive, to survive in recruiting, to survive economically, needs to go join the Big Ten? Or the ACC. I mean, excuse me, or the SEC. And it would most likely be the Big Ten. They fit more with those schools. Geographically, they fit more with those schools academically and aesthetically. But I still don't think it has to happen. Notre Dame is unique. They don't want to share football money. They've never had to share football money. They are a package onto themselves. Remember, There's no other team in any sport, in any league, that has every single game on national television. Not the Dallas Cowboys. Their games, when they play at 1 o'clock, are regionalized. They're not on to everywhere in the country. They're on to maybe 
always a good portion of the country because there's a lot of places that don't have football that take the Cowboy game. But let's say the Cowboys probably never play to a map under 50%. That might be true. I don't know that it is always, but let's say they do. But that's still a map of 50%. Notre Dame plays to a map of 100% in every game. The lowest place a Notre Dame game goes is to ESPN, which is a national network. That's it. The game is either on NBC. If they're on the road, it's on ABC or CBS. And it then falls to ESPN, which gobbles it up whenever they can get Notre Dame. So no Notre Dame game is ever not on national television. There's no one else who has ever had that in the history of sports. They still, even in this changing climate, do not necessarily need or want to share their football revenue. I don't think they have to. Um, You talk about playing golf. I play too, not so well with a bad knee. I'd love for you to talk about when you started, how you play. Uh, Do you have a regular foursome? Yes, I have a regular foursome. I play a lot with the same guys. I also play a good deal with my wife, who's a good player, very good player. Um, I do have a regular foursome. And we play at least once a week together. We might be missing one guy at a time where you have a guy who's, we have a couple of people who slip into the foursome when someone's missing. But I do have a regular foursome. I play with a knee replacement. So I've tried to get around the fact that I can't hit the ball very far. Work on my short game. Since I've retired, I've gotten much better because I've played more. I figured out some things that I could do to improve my game. I've improved it. My handicap now is legitimately a 15. On a good day, I can shoot mid-80s. That's max for me because I can't reach a lot of the par fours in two, the long ones I can't reach. If it's over a 200-yard par three, I'm not going to reach it. I'm not going to be on in regulation. Um, Same thing with the par fours. I'm going to need to hit a wedge in for my third shot most times on on a long, unless I hit two perfect shots. I've increased my distance this year, luckily. I've done some work on my legs to increase my distance a little bit. I still don't even hit driver. I hit three wood off the tee because I don't hit it long anyway, so I look for accuracy. I try to keep it in the fairway. And I got a pretty good short game. So, uh, and I enjoy playing a lot. Uh, If you have a 15 handicap, you're mediocre. If I could hit it a normal distance, I might be able to get down to a, a 10 or 11, but that would probably be max for me. I'm comfortable at a 15. I used to want to break 100. I did that a couple of years ago, and now that's not an issue. Uh, so I have gotten better with playing. That's the only way you get better is you've got to play. This is from Bradley. Uh, he emails, reflecting on your career, which part of it was the most meaningful to you? Mike and the Mad Dog or Francesca on the fan. They're both important. 
I luckily had a lot of success individually after Dog. Dog and I had an, an unbelievable amount of success together. Um, I'm obviously proud of what I did with Dog. I'm proud of what I did without him. But I, there's no Dog and I have both said this many times. There's nothing in our careers that's going to surpass what we did as Mike and the Mad Dog. Mike and the Mad Dog was the best sports talk show of all time. It's been widely regarded as the best sports show of all time. It's been treated as the best sports talk show of all time. It's been treated in a groundbreaking fashion. It's been remembered that way. So I am very proud of what I've done alone, but I think the Mike and the Mad Dog stuff will always be the first line of my career. And now, you know, most of the stuff that's written says, once you get in the Hall of Fame, they always put, you know, Radio Hall of Famer. Dog is up this year again. I vote. I voted for Dog. I voted for Susan. They're both up this year for the Radio Hall of Fame. They both get in. Dog's going to get in. There's no question. The question is when. I think eventually both of them get in. You just don't know what year. Sometimes it takes a couple of years to get in. Uh, this is from Don. Did you have a relationship with uh, Hank Goldberg? Was sad to hear about his passing. I did have a relationship with Hank Goldberg. As a matter of fact, I uh, tweeted the other day that um, I first met Hank when I was 18. Hank was older than, 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 than I. Um, we both worked for Jimmy the Greek. Uh, Hank and I shared a lot of uh, likes. We both loved the racetrack. We both liked to. Uh, we both liked the NFL a lot. Hank was very much a football and horse racing guy. I was a little more, I'd say, into the other sports than Hank was. But uh, I knew Hank very well. I'm not going to tell you that we spent a lot of time together, but here's how it would work. Hank needed something from me. He knew where to reach me. I needed something from Hank. I knew where to reach Hank. We always had a very cordial relationship. We always had a very good relationship. May you rest in peace. Breaking Forest Hills. Where do you think the St. John's basketball program is at this point? Is there any light at the end of the tunnel? There's a little light. I think where they are right now is reassessing what the Big East will be without Jay Wright at Villanova. Jay Wright built a dynasty at Villanova. He completely dominated the Big East. His team has been a fixture in the top 10, and they've been as successful as any basketball program in the country over the last 10 years. I don't think that will continue on the same level without Jay Wright. I think that will be very hard for Villanova to do. I also think it's, going to, it's a very different world right now they live in. So how coaches react to this new world order and the movement of players is going to define who they are. There's no way you have to play that game. There's no way around it. You must play that game. How aggressively you play that game will tell the story. St. John's has a coach who is a legitimate professional coach. He's a solid coach. He's had plenty of success. He's capable of doing the job. They just got to get the right players.
And that's been an issue. They've had a lot of trouble getting the right players. Charlie in Vermont asks, who would you take first, Mariano Rivera or Roger Clemens in their primes? This is always a great debate. I think the way the world works now, where starters only pitch a max of 200 innings if you're lucky in the season, they make 32 or 33 starts. A lot of times they're gone by the sixth inning. The relief pitcher, the great relief pitcher, is more important. He impacts more games. So in this day and age, I would take Mariano Rivera. If you're asking about just sheer talent, it's a flip of a coin. They're both legendary talents. So Clemens is an elite starting pitcher. Rivera, a an elite closer. They are both great at what they did. Uh, I think the unflappable nature of Mariano versus the sometimes overheated nature of Clemens would lead me to Mariano too. So I would say Rivera. Pete Westchester. Loving the show. Know that you were skeptical of the podcast format while you were a fan. How are you liking it so far? Now that you're a couple months in, um, it's been very easy. You don't have the immediacy, and that's why I really like the emails. I don't have the immediacy and the feedback that you get daily on talk sport, sports talk radio. You know you have your finger on the pulse and you have that connection to the fans when you talk to them day after day. And you know that on my show, We took a lot of phone calls. We move a lot of calls through. We took a lot of phone calls. And we, you know, only did certain guests. We didn't do a lot of guests. So, you know, we did a lot of phone calls. So we were connected to the fans about as much as any show could be. And I think that immediacy and that connection leads you to be right on top of everything. With the podcast, you're a little more removed. But the ability to do it whenever you want. And I have... My ex, a fan producer, Brian Monzo, in the same role, he's producing everything I do. So he's always a moment away. I can reach him and he responds within seconds, no matter what time of day it is, day and night. I don't think he sleeps. I don't sleep very much either, but he is always up. He's got 9,000 kids, that's why. But he's always up. He's always up early. I email him at 6 o'clock in the morning, he emails me right back. I get up early. He gets up early. Uh, so if I say, let's go, I want to do something, I go downstairs to the studio, he flips on what he needs to do, and away we go. So it's working out really well. Uh, Brian emails, wanted to get your thoughts on Major League Baseball not scheduling the Yankees on Memorial Day and the 4th of July. Hey, you know that this has been a pet peeve of mine. I get tired of screaming about it. It is a absolute disgrace. When any major league team is off on any of the big three holidays inside their season, Memorial day, 4th of July or labor day. As a matter of fact, I have said for years, if baseball had a heart and it doesn't, if it wasn't run by a bunch of greedy people on those three days, 
there would be double headers, one admission double headers, so that people could single those dates out and take their kids, the next generation of fans, to the stadium and go see those double headers. When we were kids, and I didn't have a father growing up, but I had an older brother, six and a half years older than me, eight years older than my younger brother, who I was a year and a half older than. And he would pack the car at 17, 18, with me and my younger brother, Marty, and we would go to doubleheaders on Sunday, Yankee Stadium, doubleheaders, Shea Stadium, doubleheaders. Saw Pete Rose in the polo grounds in a Mets-Cincinnati doubleheader. Saw the Yankees in 64 play the Chicago White Sox. That classic series that catapulted the Yankees back into first place when they were having a pennant race with the Orioles and the White Sox. We went to that doubleheader on Labor Day. And I remember, I still remember it. I still remember seeing Willie McCovey hit an enormous home run at Shea Stadium when we went and saw the Giants and the Mets in a doubleheader. We used to love, we'd go, think about it, we'd get there for batting practice and we'd stay for two games and we'd be there from 11 o'clock in the morning until 8.30 at night. And all we'd watch is baseball. And that's how you cultivate lifelong baseball fans. And baseball should be smart enough to market their product that way. Instead, the Yankees haven't played on Memorial Day or the 4th of July, which is an utter disgrace. The Yankees, the biggest franchise in the sport, who basically the 4th of July means everything to the Yankees if you know their heritage. The Yankees being off on the 4th of July is disgraceful. Mike in Jersey with the USFL having just completed its first season and the XFL returning under the ownership of uh, Dwayne, The Rock, etc. What do you think of the viability of the spring football league will be? Zero. It won't work. Football is a fall game. Nobody can challenge the NFL. You're not going to get the players. You're not going to get the players to jump. You're not going to get the dates. You're going to have to play in the spring and summer. You're going to have to play in stadiums that the NFL doesn't use for the most part. You're not going to ever compete. You don't have the money. The only opposition that has ever been one that the big league has to be afraid of is what is going on in golf because that new league or that new organization has so much money and they have plenty of golf courses to play. They're in a time of year where there's not a lot on for sports. So there's plenty of places to televise it and look how many players they've already taken away from the PGA. They are here to stay. These football leagues, they will come and go. I don't care who owns them. Keep your uh, comments coming. Keep your questions coming. Mike Francis, a podcast at gmail.com. Send them along. We'll do them each show. We'll see you down the road. Thanks for listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.
Hey, it's Mike Miss here. What a time to be a Philly sports fan. And you can share the excitement with me each week on the Mike Missinelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Listen and subscribe to the Mike Missinelli podcast today, wherever you get your podcasts.